Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Retail Therapy, a Rethink Retail exclusive podcast series where we dive into a retailer facing a huge challenge or smacking it out of the park uh, and try to understand what makes them tick. This week, we'll be looking at a retailer who is setting the standard on sustainability, quality, sourcing, fashion, and so much more. That's right. Today, we're talking Patagonia. Checking in for today's session with me, Andrew Smith, is uh, my retail therapist, Heather Herzog. Hi, Heather. Brandon Rail. G'day, Brandon. And Gikuta. How'd I go? <laughs> excellent. excellent. Phew, I've been practicing all week for that. You can so. always redub it with my voice later, but excellent. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I would appreciate that. And I'd love to, for you to uh, introduce yourselves to our listeners. Let's start with you, Guy. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on this. Uh, I'm the Vice President of Industry and Global Alliances at a software company called Texas, but I've been in supply chain and retail for over 25 years. And full disclosure, Patagonia was a client of ours, so I have some really interesting insights from that, those times. So looking forward to this. I'm, I Don't get yourself fired or anything. I hope not. <laughs> Heath, what about you? I'm so glad to be here with you all. and so exciting to be here at the NRF. As you said, I am Heath Herzog. I am what you call a retail multi-hyphenate. I run a retail research business, a white label research business for registered investment advisors focusing on the retail industry. I am also part-time faculty at Parsons teaching technology and innovation to a bunch of very brilliant master's students. I am an honor contributor for various broadcast networks here in the United States. And and I am a senior fellow at a think tank in DC looking at small business development and initiatives. So that is an awful lot of hyphens, you're right. Yes, a lot of uh, hyphens. <laughs> and Brandon. I'm trying to keep up with that. I'm Brandon Rail, happy to be here. I've been NRF first time since 2020. Lifelong member of the retail and commerce worlds. So I've worked on the industry side, I ran retail businesses, and I have a passion for just transformation, passion for evolving business models. I work with clients directly to come up with long term sustainable strategies such as Patagonia, to solve business problems, drive revenue, and build customer loyalty. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a great conversation. Love it. And what a fantastic panel. And you're all looking incredibly dapper, too. We try. Uh, which is fantastic. I love Patagonia. It's one of those brands that I've, got, I'm a consumer of and obviously an avid uh, observer of what's going on. Usually, most people have a bit of a story around brands like Patagonia. Guy, are you a, are you a aficionado? Have you got Patagonia in the closet? I, I absolutely do have Patagonia in my closet. And I will freely admit, my first real experience with Patagonia, and I'm going to date myself here, but I worked at Forrester Research back in the early or late 90s during the dot-com boom. And we all got Patagonia fleeces at the end of the year. And I still have my green Patagonia Forrester fleece. I so love if we're talking about longevity and brand awareness and all this, it's still, I gave it to my dad, so he still wears it, but I still have it. Vintage right there. Oh, it's yeah. vintage. That's probably, it's vintage. That's probably got a solid value it, it, on it. Oh, it's, it's pre, vintage. Pre-finance bros. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. way pre-finance bros. Yes. But I do think like that whole space to me, absolutely, that was my first real experience. And, and it always exuded quality to some degree, sometimes high quality luxury almost. But I think from that perspective, it's the brand itself has really carried forward and continues to be true to it. So I think that's a really remarkable achievement for any retailer, but one like Patagonia is hats off to them. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it definitely has collected stories on its journey to get to where it is and set some standards pretty much in most of the areas it wants to go to. What about you, Heather? 
it's interesting with Patagonia because you're absolutely right. I feel like everyone has their associated story to it. So I went to boarding school in Colorado in the 90s and I had purchased this skiing shirt, so just a little zip up sort of undershirt that you wore underneath your jacket. And to this day, to this day, I still run with that jacket. And I got a rip in it. I ran by a branch, it ripped a big hole in it. And I said, maybe this is the end. And Patagonia, I went to the stores buying something for my kids, right? Um, they said, you can bring it in and we can repair it for you for free because they're that committed to their whole messaging of sustainability. And but it begs that whole question of what is sustainability? Maybe it's the fact that we have items of clothing that have lasted, I'm again, dating myself for three decades in my closet and now in your dad's closet. And then also the longevity of that consumer. So now think about it. I bought this jacket when I was 17 years old in the nineties. Now I'm buying things for my kids. So it's that brand loyalty built into it. So I think there are multiple stages or multiple touch points that we could talk about with Patagonia. Um, not only just the sustainability, but also how do you have that customer loyalty for so long, decades even, past generations? It's phenomenal to yeah. think about. It's a kind of loyalty that most brands would kill for. Yeah. Brandon, what about you, man? Yeah, I don't have a story as deep and rich as yours. Again, I hate that, but I, I caught my first Patagonia vest about five years ago. I'm not a finance bro, but it was my wife. <laughs> Though I needed it for those uh, time period in the fall when it's a little cold out, but not too cold for a full jacket. But uh, it's, they're in a rarefied area in retail. They're a brand that actually fulfills their promise. They, they, are, they stand for quality, for sustainability, for building connections with consumers, for appearing on products that's 30 years old, which is spectacular. Just being sustainable because the product is so high quality and, and it lasts long. And, these are like, and they form these lifelong relationships with consumers that spans generations. So I couldn't be more hyped about this conversation. It's gonna be yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, everyone I asked or mentioned that I was going to be talking about Patagonia, which is everyone just got excited, like almost like a brand that just generates energy. I'll very quickly share my Patagonia story before we get into thinking about the owner's giveaway that happened in 22 and, and, and what, uh, what has changed in terms of their perception. But my first Patagonia story is I was a stupid Australian that came to NRF. <laughs> it was must have been 2016 or 2017 or something similar. and. I didn't understand that the world could be this cold. So it was certainly- <laughs> And windy. And windy. Yeah. Wind I was definitely yes. not prepared. Wintery mixes so, all over the East Coast. Exactly. Yes. So very happily bought my first my first jacket then and still have it to this day. Traveled, it's traveled the world with me. It's a little tighter fitting nowadays, but other than that, it certainly lasted the test of time. Obviously the biggest news that's come out of Patagonia in the recent history is the owner's decision to give it away and that continued focus on sustainability. What a, what a fascinating choice that we, you would assume would be incredibly difficult, but they've made it look very easy. What, is it, what do you think has changed in terms of people's perception around that decision, both, both consumers and then the competitors in the market? Let's start with you, Guy. Adobe and Microsoft have come together to unite data, content, and processes, helping retailers transform every interaction along the customer journey to deliver the experiences customers expect. Unite cross-channel customer data with full-scale activation capabilities to deliver personalized and AI-driven retail experiences. With more than 60 out-of-the-box product integrations, our joint offering helps retailers increase value from technology investments while maximizing the value of first-party data. Connect the dots with connected clouds, Adobe and Microsoft, a partnership that unlocks the possible. I think it's one of those where there are a lot of people talk about being more sustainable, giving back to the community and society, and then there are very few that actually follow through with it. And I think Patagonia, no, no doubt, is a prime example of actually doing it 
I think the perception in the market is such, which I think is good, mm. is that their competitors now are, are being forced to address the issue and to think about sustainability, to think about longevity, to think about the environment, mm. to think about the earth that they're going to leave. So I think in that industry, because first of all, it's it's obviously an industry that's catering to people that are outdoorsy. So by nature, we care about the mountains, we care about the rivers, we care about the environment. But then for that brand to actually follow through with it, I think the good part for that part of the industry is it forces others like Columbia, like North Face and others to say, you know what, whether or not they're going to do it, most of them were already, but now it just accelerates that, that initiative to say, what are we going to do as a brand to also protect? Because at the end of the day, whether you're buying Patagonia or Columbia or North Face, it's all the same planet, right? It's all the right. same materials we're sourcing. Sure. It's all the same motion in the ocean. We're moving stuff over and manufacturing. So at the end of the day, we're all on the same planet. So I think for me, what I've seen is it's just pushed the rest of that sub-segment industry to follow suit. And I think that's only a good thing from that perspective. Completely agree. And like, it is going to be interesting because it's a segment that was naturally more leaning towards market forces for sustainability as an initiative and innovation. But this definitely gave it a big old shove, Heather. I have a very different take on this, and mostly because I work, I'm a reporter, I cover markets, I cover, I look at the financials of companies. And if you deep dive into what Patagonia did, which is certainly the optics of it is wonderful. Oh, you're giving away your company for the sustainability purposes. Everyone should do that. Absolutely. However, you have to look at how many, how much they owed in taxes, okay? Patagonia had a huge corporate tax bill, huge. And if you really, I haven't really been, I would have to sit with their 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 uh, quarterly reports, they're a, a private company, so you would have to really deep in, deep dive into their, their earnings, et cetera. But from what I gather, they had a gigantic tax bill. Their revenues were, it just was, it wasn't, they weren't gonna dig themselves out of the hole. So one way to be able to get rid of that is to make this it just transfer it over into the care of a nonprofit because at that point they're tax exempt right so from a tax and accounting perspective they must have incredible very savvy accountants to be able to do this because not only did they absolve themselves for the most part of this enormous tax bill in the tens of millions of dollars I think it was almost I might be, I, I don't want to overstate. Again, I want to, I, I wish I had a minute to deep dive and get the exact number, but I feel like it was getting close to half a billion dollars of corporate taxes they owed. It's something insane. It was insane amount. And moving that over now have, has absolved them. But the optics are great. And I'm not discounting the fact that this sure. company certainly puts sustainability forward. Listen, let's take it back down to the consumer. If I could walk into a Patagonia and get my jacket fixed, it's almost... 30 years old, 30, 30 plus years old, that's saying something. They're certainly committed to that. But from that standpoint, I, I think there's a little, there's something more going on behind the scenes there. I, 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 I've been called a cynic in my time, Heather, but wow. I agree with you. I think it, it, it's savvy for a million reasons. And I think yes. even if the intent is perfect and that this is an offset of a bonus that's happened for it, or even if this is the intent that we've pushed sustainability down the road, one might argue that, hey, good on them. Even brands with good intent are allowed to have savvy number crunches in the background. My bio says retail truth teller. That's what I'm here ah, for, everyone. I love it. I'm so. living for it. Okay. Living. Yeah, exactly. Brandon, what about, oh, truth bomb, Brandon. Uh, I, I think I my, my narrative has changed a little bit as I hit those feedback. I think it's, yeah, the optics are outstanding. But again, there's the tax implications and the benefits to the company are pretty significant. So I think that's the underlying reasons and strategies from a customer perspective. Mm -hmm. Those aren't as savvy as us here, may not be aware of the implications or the uh, the benefits from doing that, moving into a trust. 
but it, it is in line with that narrative on sustainability and the heritage and the storytelling around that and, and continue to drive that story forward as a brand that believes in it. And then one of the original spark of the whole sustainability conversation in the industry. So that, yeah, that continue to push the needle forward, north facing others have to follow suit. And the customer is expecting that trust and transparency with brands as they build the relationships. But I loved your take on it though. It, it was very insightful. So, but I, I will, sorry, I will say the great point on the finances, but I, I come, I'm the supply chain guy, right? right. So I look at supply chain. And I will say from my experience, from that perspective, what they've done in the supply chain, forcing their suppliers and forcing their supplier suppliers to be much more savvy about how they source material, manufacture material, move material. And by no means are they perfect. They still have, I think by last account, 20 to 30% of their suppliers that are not compliant, if you will, with sustainability. But to get to that number, I, in my mind too, I think that certainly helped push the need, right? Because we all think about supply chain, we see it, but what you don't realize is when the supply chain, you go further down, that sustainability angle becomes so much harder to control. So these large brands, if they can start encouraging or motivating and incentivizing their suppliers to do that, I think that goes a long way too. And maybe it helps their finances as well a little bit, but I think that's another aspect to look at too. The finances, supply chain, the customer, right from all those perspectives. For sure. And they also, all of those suppliers through the supply chain do work for other other companies as well and other brands as well. So any push of their work to be more sustainable is going to have an impact beyond the Patagonia brand, which is interesting. I wonder if people just had a culture. Patagonia has definitely created it's a very unique culture about both its, within the company itself, with its people, but also with its customers. There are people, we talked before about the longevity, the loyalty. Um, how does culture come into it for the Patagonia story, gig? I think it starts from the top, right? It's kind of a cliche, like we all it starts with leadership, but we were talking about this pre-show, it's they'd started with their founding, right? When they founded Patagonia, I think I was reading about, and I'm gonna butcher this, but the clips you bang into the, the stone to go climb and put your ropes, they realized they weren't sustainable. So they were gonna create a sustainable one. That started from the beginning and it continued to permeate. But culture is one of those things, it's like, I know if I see it, problem is if you don't have the leadership that continues to push the culture and it permeates your organization, it doesn't matter. So I think Patagonia, at least from my perspective, right, that leadership has, it's been stable and they've continued to push that. I've certainly worked with and worked at a lot of businesses where the culture was great in the beginning, leadership changed, finances changed, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. that culture ran out the window. Yeah. So I think that's a big part from my perspective. Yeah, it doesn't take much, does it? It's, it's very hard to build, very easy to kill very quickly. Ethan, what's your take? I feel like I've been steeped in Patagonia culture for a very long time because I also grew up in New Mexico. And when you go to boarding school in Colorado and you're from New Mexico, you're very much part of that outdoor, that there's a culture around that. And, and especially when you ski. And it's interesting you bring this up because I, I, I'm thinking about this more and more because I took my girls skiing. I have twin toddlers. People who know me know that I have these toddlers. I talk about them all the time. I took them skiing for the first time in a Jersey mall. Okay, a built-in mountain in the Jersey Mall. Okay, shout out to American Dream. Okay, so for me, being from Colorado and being in New Mexico, this was very hard for me to reconcile. Why? Because I'm steeped in that Patagonia culture. You don't take your kids to go skiing in a mall? <laughs> Temperature controlled at 28 degrees? I don't think so. And 
it's interesting because I started going back and looking at the stuff that I used to wear when I skied when I was their age and a lot of it, maybe not when I was their age, but certainly when I was in high school, it was Patagonia. You're absolutely right. That culture is definitely there, but I think it's really changing. And while that culture comes from top down at Patagonia, I think there's definitely been some sort of transparency echoes of how do we be more inclusive? And I'm not just talking about, I'm not, I think inclusivity in some ways, I don't want to say it's a bad rep, but it's hard to be inclusive of everyone, especially in, in retail to some instances. But in this case, I think we're seeing people embrace outdoors more, more more female stories, not all guys rock climb or women rock climb. Or I think that's what, as I was talking to the Patagonia leadership years ago when I was doing a piece on them, I found that so many of their content too was very male-centered. I know I'm sitting here with three guys. Okay, but they're starting to do a little bit more stories about the environment, about women, about the environments that they climb in, boat in, fish in and talk about that, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and that's another push that they can make to the rest of the industry as well, because it's that broadening of inclusivity in language and in action is everything. And sitting in a session the other day that was talking about Gen Z and how do you decode them, and I'm like, we've just got to stop generalizing customers in these these types of ways. Yes. It's insane, right? Absolutely. And and that goes to gender as well. You know, there is a firm masculine energy associated to outdoorsiness, which is insanely stupid and incorrect. Having that shift in the way they tell the story is a a really smart idea. Brandon, what what about you, mate? Culture at Patagonia. The culture of Patagonia, it's, it's powerful. It started with the outdoors, it started with lifestyle. Now we're seeing lifestyle extended to the, the corporate workplace where men and women now are wearing more casual clothes. Think of all the brands that center around lifestyle like Lululemon and others. Patagonia's right up there with them. The casualization of the work of the, of the corporate workplace. It's, it, and then Patagonia is a big part of it. So it, it's not just meant just for outdoors and uh, rock climbing and outdoor stuff. It's, it's permeating throughout our whole lifestyle and it's also extending to the corporate workforce. So I think. They're evolving as a brand. They're being more inclusive, which is wonderful. I have a 13-year-old daughter, so it's I'm so proud, so proud to hear this. That there's opportunities and for empowerment and growth for for everyone. They continue to evolve with the times and inspire us. Yeah. Doesn't it feel less siloed? Didn't it? At one point, Patagonia, you saw Patagonia, you're like, oh. Yeah, outdoor guy or literally outdoor guy yeah. and then yes. it became finance bro yes and now it feels okay maybe i'm a brooklyn mom wearing patagonia or maybe i'm a kid that wants to i don't know hover around the streets in new york city i don't <laughs> <laughs> that has some screwed connotations that yeah. Yeah. in retail there is no shortage of data but what if i told you that you've been overlooking the most valuable data of all your contracts Contracts define the commercial relationships that power retail. With contract intelligence from Isertus, you can structure and connect this critical business information so you can drive revenue, find savings, and reduce risk. To learn more, visit Isertus. That's I-C-E-R-T-I-S dot com. It's an interesting point. It's a lot of these brands in that space, Helly Henson, right? Patagonia, Columbia. I feel like it's, Helly Henson's always been, it's for sailors, but now it's, oh, you don't have to be in America's Cup to wear it. So I do wonder from your perspective, do you guys see what has changed that? Is it the finance bros that brought it in and now, or? Partly that, I think it's just the embracing of uh, more casual ways of living. I think, it, I think the pandemic accelerated that as well. 
you know, we're, I mean, not many people wear sports jackets anymore. We do, but uh, it just the world is evolving and changing rapidly. Yeah, uh, yeah you both look fabulous. By I, way, I, yeah, I could wear my finest broke jacket if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, oh, it might turn to be cynical. It's just smart because it's growth, right? It's just the same product, existing products to new markets. You're going to be taking what you do and expand the people who are potentially going to give you money for it. I think it's just a really smart move to expand into a more, less siloed, more generalized place where more consumers have access to your brand. One aspect of Patagonia too that we're not talking about is that, and again, talk about the diversification of product, is their provisions. So I don't know if you all have been shopping in Whole Foods recently, but Patagonia is really hitting everyone hard with the canned fish and the provisions. And I remember, again, about a couple years ago, when I was talking to Patagonia doing this story, they were really on this push to get Patagonia provisions out there, people talking about it. And now it's becoming grocery mainstream to buy tinned fish, not just for a camping trip, right? People are like, oh, we're going to buy Patagonia provisions and have a nice little meal while we're camping in the Everglades. I don't even, I don't go camping in the Everglades. Sounds horrible. I don't even want to camp in the Everglades. No, I don't even know. I don't even know. To be fair, you lost me at camping. Yeah, I'm not a camper either. That was, even in Colorado, I was like, no. But instead of it being camping food, it is now really becoming high-end Whole Foods food. And I think that is another sort of product expansion that they have done very successfully. It's becoming more of a to your point, luxury lifestyle, a holistic luxury lifestyle, as opposed to technical wear you wear when you are rock climbing in Red Rock. I think it's brilliant that you said that because it's it's an extension of the brand. It's a well-established brand Mm -hmm. with amazing relationships with consumers. And they're taking a really cool running approach to innovation. They're not just throwing products out there. They're testing and learning and evolving and yeah, it's anything's possible. Yeah. That pushing of the boundaries thing, I think, yes. is, is definitely something they've always done, really. But the consumers, we all know, buy based on a couple of things. Obviously, price is an incredibly important one, but values is just as important. It keeps continually row as a proportion of our decision when we're buying. And I want to talk about Patagonia's values for a, for a minute because they, they're very clear about them. Like They list off their five um, important, most important values as quality, integrity, environmentalism and justice and not being bound by convention. Um, How do those values influence the way the business chooses to operate, but more importantly, how does it speak to consumers, Gig? So I'm going to freely admit, I'm going to go back to my supply chain roots. I think all those values, none of those values can really be achieved, in my opinion, until they really have a good supply chain, which they do. And I think that's where they, in my opinion at least, they understood the value of it, like sourcing and all this. It has to be done properly because to your point is like a jacket, I know it's gonna last long because I have good material and I source it properly. And I also know that if in 30 years you wanna replace something, I can still repair it, I can still fix it. And I think those values start from that supply chain side, almost saying, hey, I wanna make sure that the consumer, he or she gets exactly the best product based on my values. But none of my values I can live up to if I don't control my supply chain. And part right. of that is, I'm sure a lot of us have seen this, where this brand has a great name, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, their supplier over here did something really naughty, and guess who gets punished? Mm-hmm. That brand. Yeah. Because that supplier, you go to someone on the streets in New York, you say, oh, do you know this supplier in Bangladesh? I don't know what that is, but you know this brand name? Oh, I know who that is. So I think Patagonia, from that perspective, again, I'm biased kind of the supply chain side. I think those values are steeped also in the way they execute it on the supply chain side, which then translates to good customer 
success, customer loyalty, good product, sustainability, and all those things. But sure. I, I think all those, I look at it as think of it from the bottom up or from the back end from that perspective. It's a very impressive feat to be able to get your values that it's hard enough to get values across your own organization let alone into the hands of others Heather what's your take here on values I want to continue with the supply chain discussion for a second because I think you're making really good points it seems to me from what I've analyzed teaching on technology and innovation and we look at supply chain is that it tends to get very expensive when you want more transparency for that brand. And again, I haven't really dived into the financials of Patagonia. You would probably know better than me how much they are actually spending trying to source the best product and making sure that they are up to their sustainability requirements uh, and prerequisites. My my question and maybe my hope is that uh, other companies or it may be even 10 or 20 years down the line it becomes less expensive for companies to be able to have those same requirements and I remember you I don't know if you all have met Seth Goldman he started Honest Tea and he was how I interviewed him for a different conference and he was saying how even from sourcing and using supply chain for tea leaves their standards were so high that Coca-Cola couldn't even, I'm throwing Coca-Cola under the bus here, sorry Coca-Cola, they couldn't even <laughs> meet those standards and basically got rid of the brand. Yes. So my question is, do you think that at some point it'll be less expensive for brands to have those high standards and it would be the norm as opposed to here's Patagonia and everyone follows suit and if you have the money, great, and if not, you're these like unsustainable brands over here. We could do a whole three hours on this. <laughs> Maybe we should. Maybe we should. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the 30 second one. Okay. Yes and no. It's going to be, I think, less expensive because as we get more digital transformation, digital visibility, but it's going to be more expensive from the standpoint of what are the standards? So yes, Patagonia has one standard. Honesty has another standard. Yes. Walmart has another standard. Do you follow the standards? Are they universal, right? Is this is there a governing body that says these are standards for footwear, for apparel, for tea, for food products, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals? But I think we're moving that direction. And I think all of us as consumers, we should demand that from our supply chain, whether it's Patagonia, whether it's Coca-Cola, whether it's Honest Tea. So to answer your question, yes and no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I'll, t- I'll take us outside of the US a little bit too, because I think there. Are, I, you're right, it is, it is insanely expensive now to try and maintain it. And it, it, even back to our diversity point, just to maintain a diverse range of clothing to fit all shapes and sizes. California has certain standards True. that other states don't have. Right. That's exactly right. right. So California, there's certain things that you can't sell into California without a certain ability to show provenance. But I can sell it into Missouri without it. But if I'm a from a brand, I'm going to go by the highest standard because I don't want to cut my market into 50 little markets. Right. So I think that's the challenge too. We think about, and even in the EU, if I go to Germany, it's very different than when I go to France, France yeah. or exactly. Denmark or Norway. So I think it's a it's a fascinating topic from the standpoint of we as consumers are going to demand more and more of it, as we should. And now it's up to brands to either get ahead of it or to follow suit or maybe get left behind. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch how it, how it does unfold. Denmark, by the way, just crowned Queen Consort as an Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving right along. In today's highly competitive retail landscape, personalization has become a key revenue driver. Almost three quarters of consumers now expect personalized interactions and more than three quarters are frustrated when this doesn't happen. Retailers need to deliver more robust, sensory experiences and personalized customer service and evolve with personalization, seamless purchasing and intelligent store experiences. 
Beyond just personalizing the shopper experience, elevating the shopper experience relies on smarter, more connected stores, unified commerce across diverse channels, smart advertising solutions, and seamless customer service. Microsoft Cloud for Retail can help you to evolve and elevate the shopping experience. Brandon, your thoughts on values? Yeah, I'm going to continue the momentum, supply chain, sourcing, transparency. I think that the consumer will, you know, is spoken. There's conscious consumerism on the, on the rise, and this really requires business uh, to drive transformation, to be more transparent with their sourcing and supply chains and procurement, be more sustainable. But, uh, the Gen Z daughter, Gen Alpha son, and they're the emerging consumer. They want to know where their clothing is being sourced from, and was it safe working conditions? Was it sustainably sourced? Is it 100% cotton? Is it organic? Yes, it will drive the price forward, but actually, like you said, 30, the 30 year old jacket still is functional, still is high quality, is repairable. And I'm also struggling with the fact that you have the Sheens and the Timus of the world rising up and emerging as forces. They're totally against all the same principles we're talking about here. So that Gen Z and Gen Alpha consumers have these two worlds are going to be transverse, being sustainable at a luxury cost, or being cool and trendy and getting the Sheen and Timu products and dispose of it when you're finished with it. It's two different forces that are emerging. So. That is I, I have to say too, Patagonia, yes, I have that jacket, but I want to add into that my Trek bike, I'm really just <laughs> layering in the crunchy granola past life of mine. I still have from 1992. Yeah. I still ride it around the city and the Trek store by my house is totally willing and happy and able to fix it up for me. And that is a 30 year old plus bike too. So there are, I feel like there are brands out there yeah. that that are that exist that sort of follow that. But what is their outward facing? How do they present themselves? Maybe we don't, maybe we know it, but we just don't know it. Yeah, and so there's the, potentially the humility behind it in some of these brands as well. Wanting yes. to push this is, some, is the actions of people who are naturally probably quite right. humble and therefore they don't want to put it on their every marketing campaign ad, even though potentially it would help them. It's an interesting kind of new needle to thread, I think. It's time to talk about the future. And to do that, we're going to go off script. Uh, I was going to throw my iPad dramatically, but I figured that's a terrible idea. Damage, yeah. So it's a hypothetical time for you. So we're sitting there, it's a, like an annual general meeting or a board meeting or something similar. And you're in the room. People want to know what you think, what your recommendations are for the next steps for Patagonia. What's your advice for them, Gick? I have to go first on this one? What's your I was advice? I'll steal their idea. What's, but your, no. what's your advice for them, you, you want me to go? Okay, I have a couple. I have a lot of advice for Patagonia. Okay, number one, I think I would add on to their transparency. I think while they are very transparent, I think they could be a little bit more. Specifically, if we're going to get really in the minutia, a lot of the materials that they use for their pile jackets and their fleece jackets in that pile, please, that is made with petroleum. Right. And I think if they really want to get to that completely environmental, like we walk the walk, we talk the talk, they have to just fix those little, I don't know if it's a little, it's a big, it's a huge money maker for them. There are pockets in their business model, in their sustainability and certainly in their supply chain that need examining. Mm -hmm. And if you have 13-year-olds and 12-year-olds that are out there wanting to wear their clothes, man, they are like little investigative journalists. They will go in and find it. They are. And yeah. it takes, what, what, 20 years to build, or 30 years to build a reputation and five seconds to destroy Absolutely. it? I think that would be one of the recommendations that I would mm -hmm. give them. I love their whole, I, I like their push to diversity. I think there needs to be more storytelling 
rallying around local storytelling, the, the places that they are hiking and biking and, right. and surfing. Tell those local stories and make it more diverse, not just from the location, but also what perspective are you getting? I, there's those great Warren Miller ski movies. You remember those from the past? Warren Miller's narrating it and he's great. And you see this footage and it was pre-drone and you're like, whoa, that's so crazy. I think we need to, as, as amazing as Warren Miller was, mm. I think we need to step away from him for a little bit. I think there's other voices that we need to well, hear. We're really going way back. This is, <laughs> this is such a love relic. It. Love yeah, it. This is like TBT. Yeah. Throwback Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gay, what about you? Have we given you enough thinking time? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've got okay, my great. Good, yeah. <laughs> I, I think one, and I, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer on this one, but I do think for brands like Patagonia, which I think we talk about sustainability, it's a notion that the environment is changing, right? I don't want to bring up global warming, I'm going to. And if, if you think about Patagonia, their whole crux is to be outdoors, to be hiking, to be skiing, to be on the water. And that's where we're seeing the biggest impacts of global warming. And it's also their products. Do I need to have a super warm jacket if the temperature is going to go up? So I think both from a product standpoint and a continuum from a social environmental perspective, I think if I were saying the Patagonia, you got to keep pushing on that. Understand how it affects your business. Understand how you're going to react to it. And then continue to work on how you can, in your small part of the world, influence it in a good way. But I think that's going to be big for them. I hate to say it, but forever. Yeah, it has to be now, doesn't it? And Brandon, bring us bring us home. I'm a big proponent of evolution of brands. Stagnation is the death of brands. And I think, yes, they can probably continue that path they're on now with their sourcing and transparency and sustainability. Yes, they can build their high quality products, but yet there is issues of petroleum based products. But the evolution needs to continue. Product innovation needs to happen. The environment's continually change. Global warming is impacting us, but consumer uh, preferences, consumer behaviors are changing. Gen Z and Gen Alpha are emerging. Find ways to connect with them. Go to their universe. Engage with them on TikTok, on Instagram. Uh, find those micro-influencers in the communities. Be more inclusive. Uh, expand your reach beyond your core customers you have today. We're, we're core customers, but there's a whole emerging uh, generations that are coming up. And listen to them. Get those social insights. Get, those informa get that information to drive innovation. And continue to evolve the brand. Otherwise, we see what happens when brands stop innovating. Yeah. What a fantastic note to end on. Absolutely. Therapists, well done. Fantastic session. I learned a heap from all of you. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for joining us Thank for you. another episode of Retail Therapy live from NRF 2024. Could get better than that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank thanks you. for having us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.